This week on the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. So we got this prototype up, the whole Inspiral Network starts using it, and then this crazy thing happens where city governments start using it. Conference organizers in India and all pushing for change in the same general direction and all embracing tools to enable them to organize themselves to get there. Designers are creating a new generation of technologies on Bioneers Radio. Support for the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is provided in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation and by the generous support of listeners like you. As world-renowned geneticist David Suzuki observes, the very nature of science at the cutting edge is that most ideas will turn out to be wrong. It's how science progresses. As intimately as the fate of our lives and the planet have been shaped by top-down technological decisions, you'd think by now we'd understand the history of technology as the nail-biting drama of unforeseen consequences, many of them dreadful, now threatening our entire biosphere. Techno-utopians say technology will get us out of this technological nightmare. Luddites say technology is the nightmare. But technology is here to stay. And in truth, the question is not technology, good or bad. Instead, we might ask, how well adapted is that product, that process, that policy to life on Earth over the long haul? How does it serve? And is it a tool for control or for liberation? Those are the questions on the minds of a parallel universe of technological rebels. They're designing technologies to serve nature and human well-being. They're democratizing science and technology, equipping citizen scientists with ingenious homegrown tools to identify and directly address problems, both environmental and social. This is growing collective intelligence, democratizing technology and citizen science, with democracy technologist Ben Knight of Lumio and citizen scientist Shannon Dosmegan of Public Lab. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. And so a group of us came together during Occupy around this idea that, that there must be a better way of doing things. One thing that's changed is that we now have something called the internet. And so, you know, it's this interconnected infrastructure, communications infrastructure by which so many of us, like literally billions of us now, are more connected than we ever have been in the past. So surely we can figure out some way of using that enormous resource, that communications infrastructure, to figure out how to do collective decision-making in a way that's inclusive and empowering and fast and clear, to break this trade-off between effectiveness and inclusion and have both. Before becoming involved in the Occupy movement, Ben Knight had recently dropped out of an academic career in evolutionary psychology. He'd been pursuing the vexing question of collective intelligence. He was pondering how, as a species, human beings are notable for our ability to accumulate knowledge over centuries and millennia, and at least in theory, therefore become more intelligent as a species. But the state of the world was bombarding him with dire reasons to doubt just how intelligent our species is. 
and whether there are better ways to make collective decisions. Ben Knight spoke at a Bioneers conference. And then every night going home, going online, and just being bombarded by images, by news, by information about all of these things going horribly, horribly wrong in the world, like full-scale ecological collapse, like an economic paradigm that is so extractive that it's literally threatening the capacity of the Earth to sustain life going forward. That's literally threatening all of our futures. And it was this, there was this urgency to these challenges, this, this real sort of visceral urgency that I was feeling on this. And my initial question just got pushed right out by a question that felt much, much more urgent. And that is, well, if we're really getting so much more intelligent, then why is it that our biggest institutions, our political institutions, our economic institutions, the way that they're behaving collectively is like the epitome of stupidity. It's not intelligent. So the work I was doing, you know, the collective intelligence sort of lens um, looking at this question, it's kind of not that surprising if you think about the shape of our dominant institutional forms. If you think about the organizational structures that make up the bulk of the institutions in our economic system, in our political system, you centralize the power, you centralize the wealth, you centralize everything right at the top in this tiny number of people. And those people are expected to make decisions on behalf of everyone else people who are so far removed from the impact of their actions and the actions of the institutions that they have control over, the situation we're in is suddenly not so surprising. Ben Knight became convinced it had to be possible to address the institutional dysfunction propelling the world off the cliff. He resolved to return to his native New Zealand to work in real communities on real problems. He joined the Inspiral Network, a cooperative of social enterprises building appropriate technology solutions to tackle social and environmental challenges. Then, right on cue, a fire nado of global social movements spontaneously combusted around the world. The first spark caught fire in Tunisia with a democracy movement caused by a food crisis associated with drought, climate change, and extreme inequality. The uprising quickly ignited a mass movement in Egypt's Tahrir Square and exploded into the Arab Spring. Large social movements in Spain and Greece rebelled against the European Union's austerity policies being inflicted on the populace, in sharp contrast to the massive bailouts to the very banks who helped cause the financial crisis. Then Occupy Wall Street fanned the flames, putting the 1% on notice and demanding genuine democracy. Back in New Zealand, Ben Knight was deeply inspired that his hometown of Wellington was one of over 800 Occupy communities joining the protest worldwide. He was elated to see people coming together with a shared sense of unbearable injustice and a commitment to do something about it. Once again, he found himself bombarded by life-changing images. Images of people all over the world mobilizing in huge numbers, coming out in the streets, to say, this has got to stop. Like, this institutional insanity that's seriously threatening all of our futures, it's got to stop. We've at least got to talk about it, and we've got to talk about it openly and publicly. It was at exactly that time, just by chance, that 
that activists, a bunch of us from the Occupy movement, came into contact with a community called Inspiral. So we're sitting in a, in a park in Civic Square, you know, camping in tents. They're sitting in a co-working space, literally five minutes away, talking about all of the same things, just using slightly different language and different techniques of getting there. This is a community of people committed to building appropriate technologies to tackle different environmental and social challenges. So this covers, you know, some groups are looking at peer-to-peer -peer community education, some are looking at organic food distribution, youth mental health, and they're building sustainable social enterprises to scale the impact that these ventures can have. So we turned up and we said, hey, we've had this really great idea. We heard that you're good with computers. Can you build this thing for us so we can get back to the tents and do the important work of sitting in a circle? And <laughs> They told us that, well, that'd be really nice, but uh, we actually need that tool as well because we say we're a non-hierarchical network that's autonomous, and, but in reality, most of our decisions come down to one or two people because we can't get everyone in the same room at the same time. So they were like, well, we'll give you a desk and an internet connection, and we'll, we'll build it together. A team of people with backgrounds in business, technology, activism, and community organizing joined forces and hacked out a prototype. The quest was to get beyond what the group saw as the two dominant modes of decision-making, the pyramid and the blob. The top-down pyramid allows very few voices to dominate the conversation and make the decisions. On the other end, the structuralist mode is a blob that has trouble making decisions or organizing effective action and impact. In response, Ben Knight and his fellow activists designed an open-source software tool for democratic organizing. They called it Lumio. So Loom is in like a, a loom for weaving diverse perspectives into a coherent whole that's stronger than the sum of its parts. And Loom is in illumination, the illumination that comes with collective wisdom when all perspectives are heard. And it's this very simple tool. It's a, an online space for purpose-driven groups of people to come together, talk something through, build shared understanding just through dialogue, and build agreement around clear courses of action. So to shift from not just mobilization, not discussion, not just discussion, but that through that flow to real-world action. So within a group, anyone can start a discussion. You know, what's the movement's um, tactics on reducing transport emissions? So the group just talks. They just talk it through. When someone in the group thinks that they've got an idea that might serve a course of action they could propose, anyone can put up a proposal. So a proposal is just like a clear course of action. I think we should do this. Um, what does everyone else think? And so people participate in the decision by clicking one of four buttons. And when you make your decision, you give a like, Twitter-length, like, short, concise statement explaining why you've made the decision you've made. So there's always a rationale, a reason behind it. And you keep talking. You know, when concerns are raised, you talk them through. And you, you adapt the proposal to address the concerns. So you're not stuck. You don't get this binary, like, yes, no thing where you're like, pitted against each other. Groups that use this really well, they build agreement. They address concerns on the way through in the dialogue, and they come to solutions. They come to an agreed course of action that they all get behind. Ben Knight and the Lumio crew found the global uprisings had three central characteristics that they needed to design into the technology. First, all the seemingly disparate injustices and oppressions were intrinsically interconnected, called intersectionality. Second, the nature of the change was transformative and systemic, a genuine paradigm shift. 
you can't just replace a set of leaders in the same structure. The third characteristic was perhaps the most important to them. These movements had to be the change they were seeking. That's what they were experiencing in real time in the Occupy ways of doing things. It's really important that we're conscious and that we organize in ways that are in alignment, in coherence, with the change that we're trying to make in the world, the change that we want to see in the world. So if we want a more democratic, more equitable, more sustainable planet, we need to organize ourselves, our movements, our organizations, our communities in sustainable, equitable ways. The power of circles was just something that I had had no experience in before. When people are deeply listening to each other, genuinely taking diverse perspectives into account and synthesizing that through a process of building collective understanding, groups come to better decisions than any individual would by themselves. In other words, design Lumio to tap the collective intelligence using a democratizing tool that transcends the stalemate between the pyramid and the blob. So we got this prototype up, the co-working space starts using it, the whole Inspiral Network starts using it, um, some activist groups, environmental groups, and then this crazy thing happens where city councils, city governments start using it. Um, it spreads to like conference organizers in India and you know, grocery cooperatives in San Francisco and democratically organized schools and you know, just this amazing network of purpose-driven organizations pushing for change in the same general direction and all embracing tools to enable them to organize themselves to get there. Within three years, more than 20,000 groups around the world were using Lumio to make over 30,000 decisions. Hungarian high school and university students and professors used Lumio to organize against the government's proposed education cuts. They made the government back down. Then Lumio took hold in Taiwan. This enormous mobilization of citizens in Taiwan who didn't think that the government's secrecy around a trade deal they were negotiating with China was, was okay. So 150,000 people surrounded parliament. They got inside the legislature, the parliament building. They occupied it for three weeks. They got the government to back down and open up transparency around this trade deal they were negotiating. And the, the craziest part of this is that because the student protesters took the code, Lumio's open source, so anyone can take the code, they took the code, they translated it into their own language, and so now, 12 months later, the Taiwanese government is using Lumio to involve citizens in policymaking, collaborative policymaking. Really positive step. Ben Knight and the Lumio Cooperative spreading democracy by design. As Andrew Kimbrell of the Center for Food Safety has said, technology is legislation. Yet the public, who will bear the impacts of scientific inventions, has little or no say in the decisions. What would it mean to democratize science? Before science became a profit-driven closed shop run by technocratic elites and powerful institutions, so-called citizen scientists collected and classified data and shared it openly with others who shared their interests. Benjamin Franklin, Charles Darwin, and other explorers open-sourced formidable scientific knowledge from their experiments and research. 
Today, citizen scientists such as Shannon Dosmegan and her nonprofit Public Lab are reviving that tradition, but with a modern twist, engaging widespread public participation in scientific research, tapping the collective intelligence digitally. We took a look. What we found was that in typical scenarios um, in citizen science, a scientist would say, I have a question, um, and I'd like for you, know, you the, the community members, you, the, the people that are closest to that area, to go out and provide data for me. Without a sense of the scientists then having a responsibility to provide data back in a format that was reusable and able to help people advocate um, for actionable objectives that they might have. We encourage people to work along the entire research continuum, so identifying what the problem or the issue in your community, your neighborhood might be, to looking at the landscape of tools that might be available to do monitoring, and if they aren't available, make them. Um, so building the hardware tools, creating the software analysis platforms, going out and doing the data collection, processing, interpreting, analyzing data, and then working towards drawing conclusions that will help lead towards actionable goals. Shannon Dosmegan's experience in the so-called chemical corridor of Louisiana prepared her for her work at Public Lab, designing tools that help communities directly affected by environmental harms. So I was working with fence line communities, um, the communities that are right up on the, the fence of many of the industrial facilities, the, the refining companies, the chemical corporations um, that sit on the Mississippi River. And I was using what came to be uh, my first introduction to low-cost hardware, a creation of an EPA SUMA canister. It looks like a five-gallon bucket with a basic Radio Shack vacuum that would allow people to take their own air samples if they saw a huge flare coming out of one of the, the stacks of the refineries. But in April 2010, uh, the BP oil disaster happened. Things were thrown into a frenzy. Um, the Gulf Coast had to mobilize um, to figure out the best way to respond to the spill. One of the initial things that I saw as a young person, as somebody in New Orleans and trying to access information about what we knew was unraveling you know, miles from us, um, was that there wasn't information coming from the spill, from the disaster, uh, because it was heavily corporate controlled. It was uh, being run by BP with subcontractors and the support of different government agencies. So I worked on a lot of projects um, trying to figure out the best strategies around uh, integrating people with information during the disaster. Um, and one of the ones that I fell upon or actively engaged in uh, was launching large kites, nine-foot kites and five-and-a-half-foot balloons tethered to a simple kite string with a camera that you might pull out of your junk drawer at home and flying them 2,000 feet or so above the Gulf of Mexico. And in doing this, we gave people um, the power to become engaged and involved and also to create their own stories and narratives with the number of different pictures that they were able to capture, the maps that they were able to create of the places that were of local importance to them, whether because they were fishing grounds, uh, because there were oyster reefs in the area, or because it was a spill area that was encroaching on a community that they lived in. Public Lab mapped 100 miles of BP's oil slicks, capturing over 100,000 images. The map was keyed to predictions of where the oil was heading, guided by reports from people on the ground. 
Shenandoah Megan spoke with us at a Bioneers conference. And some of the images that we were collecting, you know, when you compared it to the databases that nonprofits would typically rely on to get information, you would see a completely different picture of the spill based on image resolution, for instance. So in images that were captured with the the balloons and kites, you would see very clear oiling around an entire chunk of land and discarded boom that was sitting in a pile on the land instead of, you know, actually doing what it was meant to do. And in an image of the exact same plot of land on the exact same day, you would see a much different story because the, the imagery was so less detailed. So post the spill, we, we thought it was really important to continue to go back to some of those areas. After Katrina, with support from the Patagonia Clothing Company, Public Lab trained residents to do field work and to help remap 20 wetlands areas that experienced different levels of oiling. Public Lab offered citizens the low-cost, low-tech tools it develops, and it provided the open archival and analysis platforms online it builds. Anyone can access them, upload their own data, and do independent data analysis. Our aerial imaging kit um, is one that has been taken across the world and used in hundreds of different scenarios. We've been working in western Wisconsin on developing passive and optical sampling devices for particulate matter sensing around frac sand mining locations. Bringing together people in Chicago, so students, uh, civic technicians, environmental justice groups in the southeast of Chicago, to measure and monitor the coal piles that are sitting open on the waterways in Chicago. Creating um, water monitors that can tell the turbidity, the salinity, measure depth, measure conductivity of water. So if there's a leak coming from a mining site or from a site that's being fracked and it's going into water that might affect agriculture land, this is something that people can determine. Public Lab also developed MapKnitter, an open source tool that allows users to make their own maps with aerial images and share them with others. Public Lab has adopted licenses that protect anyone designing hardware from future users claiming their own proprietary licenses. The shared work can then develop and grow freely, independent of a private profit motive. So this is what we're trying to do at Public Lab, is uh, to recontextualize the way that we create together, to go to the places, to meet people in their spaces, and to work together hand in hand, uh, because the, the people that technology is being created for are also the ones that are going to be most influenced by the data that's being collected about them. So we have to be incredibly careful um, to make sure that it's done in a fair and respectful manner. Creating a citizen science that restores the human context and democratizes technology are at the heart of Shannon Dusmegan's work at Public Lab. They're the same principles that inspire Ben Knight. For all of Lumio's successes from activists to governments, for him, the most poignant action unfolded in his New Zealand homeland at the bottom of the world. The Auckland Council planned to cut down six ancient trees to expand a road. These Pahutakawa trees have great local cultural significance, especially for the indigenous people who believe the bright red flowers represent the blood of fallen warriors. Enter in Spiral and Lumio. So this group to self-organize, they just mobilized really quickly, these defenders of trees. Then they jumped into Lumio. So they staged protests, they wrote open letters, they staged a media campaign. The trees are still standing. 
And they're the only trees that I know of that have their own Twitter account. <laughs> so like being, being tweeted at by trees <laughs> that were saved by people who were able to organize really effectively and for us to have played some tiny role in that is just like, that's why we get out of bed every day. <laughs> Ben Knight and Shannon Dosmegan, liberating technology to serve people and nature. Sounds downright intelligent. Growing collective intelligence, democratizing technology and citizen science. You can see and hear more from Shannon Dosmegan and Ben Knight and explore more Bioneers radio programs, podcasts, and videos online at Bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit Bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Osabel. Written by Kenny Osabel. Senior producer and station relations, Stephanie Welch. Host and consulting producer, Neil Harvey. Program engineer, Emily Harris. Production assistants, Tina Rubio and Melanie Choi. Our theme music is co-written by the Baca Forest People of Cameroon and Baca Beyond from the album East to West. All royalties from Baca compositions and performances go to the Baca Forest People through the charity Global Music Exchange. Find out more at globalmusicexchange.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers' Revolution from the Heart of Nature are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 1216. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley's pasture-raised organic dairy products, bringing the good from our family farmers to your table at organicvalley.coop. Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, and by the generous support of listeners like you. If you love Bioneers Radio, it's free and easy to support us. Just take a moment to post a review on our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find our show online. You'll be helping other people find and enjoy these incredible thinkers and storytellers. And thank you for helping us out.